Hello, and welcome to the podcast. This podcast is where sermons, messages, and other presentations from Christ Community Church in Brawley, California are posted. For more information, you can go to www.cccciv.org and select the Brawley campus or find us on the App Store. Let's get started. This morning we'll be in James, and I have the privilege of uh, being in the last, the last of James. We're going to finish up James. I don't know if you have enjoyed James or not, but uh, James is a very practical book, and I do enjoy James. We all know that he's half-brother of Jesus Christ, and we believe he's the oldest because every time his siblings are mentioned, James is always listed first. Now, Jesus' siblings did not believe that he was a Messiah. It actually says that they did not believe. It actually says that they thought he was crazy, that he lost his mind. But one thing that should change all of our minds, change their mind, was the resurrection. When they watched him die on that cross and his body wasn't in the tomb and he was alive, they were all in the upper room with their mother Mary, the apostles, and the other women. I'd like to read the scriptures this morning. It's 5, 13 through 20. If anyone among you suffering, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer in faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another And pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power and it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. When he prayed again, the heavens gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wander from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word. I pray today as I share that your word more than anything would penetrate a heart. Not the words that I say, but the words from you, Lord God. Your living word, the truth, Lord God that we would never be the same once confronted with the truth, that we would always change. We thank you, Lord God, for what you continue to do in our heart. It's in your holy and precious and mighty name I pray, Jesus. Amen. So James is talking to, the, to believers, those that were scattered, the dispersion, left Jerusalem because of the persecution. Uh, we, un- we understand Paul was at the root of that, his anger towards Paul. But then later, he was fervently for God as he learned the truth. And some of us out there in the world, I have a senior pastor that I follow and been a, been a privilege of mine to be a part of Christ Community Church that fervently enjoyed the things that the world could offer. Even as it drove him to the pits, his flesh still desired I mean, with a passion, 
the things of this world. But then once introduced to Christ, that same passion was turned around for his Savior, and I see a lot of that in Paul. I don't see James in me as much as I do Peter making one statement and doing something different uh, with passion and belief that it's true. But James seems to be the leader of the Jerusalem church. As you remember, Paul and Barnabas, they take a trip to find out what, what's going on and get an answer. And James is the one that says, the, he gives them what's going to happen. This is how you take care of it. This is what we're going to do in the church. The title, James, in my mind, uh, you have on your bulletin, Faith That Works. Steadfast faith. What, what good is faith if it's not steadfast? What good is faith if it doesn't work? If you don't see faith lived out in somebody's life, then what good is your faith? And James can, clearly talks about your faith and how it should be lived out in your life. This morning, we're going to be in chapter 5, and we're focusing on prayer. When you read James 5, 13 to the end of the book, the first seven verses, uh, first six verses of this, prayer is mentioned seven times, eight times if you include praise as a part of prayer. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. No matter where you are in life, we're supposed to take it to Jesus. If we're suffering, yeah, we're supposed to pray. Pray when you're suffering. Anyone happy? We should have praise within us. We should have joy within us. And we should pray our praise because we're happy. Now we understand that this praise to God, I hope you understand, it's not just zippity-doo-dah. You know, although you could sing zippity-doo-dah, zippity-ay, but praise to God is a little bit different. It's a joy that's down deep in your soul. Now we think these things To pray to God would take everything to God in prayer. It just kind of reminds me of a song. I know this is the early crowd. They'll be younger, I'm assuming, next service because they're going to have their kids with them. But uh, when you think of taking everything in God in prayer, is there an old hymn that you kind of remember? Huh? Amen? Yes, sir. What a friend we have in Jesus. Amen? All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. If you are not using that privilege you have as a believer, you're carrying around a load that you don't have to carry. Carry it to prayer. Give it to him. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Why would you want to carry it? Why would you want to? That's why you end up in alcohol or, or substance or workaholic or Whatever it might be, because those burdens are driving you to something, and it's supposed to be driving you to God. Is anyone suffering? Is anyone cheerful? Take it to God in prayer. There's suffering in this world. We suffer spiritually, financially, emotionally. We struggle. We struggle in this world. And Jesus says in John 16, in this world, you will have trouble. So it's a guarantee. If his word of God is truth, and I believe it is, you will have trouble. But he says, take heart, I have overcome the world. He spoke these words, and they were 
true then as they are today in the upper room, and these guys that he spent three years with are not going to understand what's going to happen. They're gonna, their foundation will be shaken. And there's times in this life that your foundation is shaken. But he says, I told you this would happen. But take heart. It's not going to overtake you. I've overcome the world. And he begins that verse with, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. God intends for you to have peace, brother and sister, not to live in the way that some of us are living. Is anyone suffering? NIV says trouble and the NLT says suffering hardship. The Greek word used here for suffering and hardship can also be translated afflicted. So as it says in Psalms 119.71, David says, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I had trouble, that I was suffering, that I might learn your statutes. I know that we don't like this. We don't, we don't want to believe that suffering is a part of our Christian growth that is allowed by God. Who wants to suffer in here? You're, you're just weird. Okay, don't raise your hand. But it's a part of life. Anybody that's raised kids knows that the lessons learned, you explain very clearly. There is no doubt on what you said. They understand English and you spoke it well. But for some reason, they have to walk through it to learn the lesson. Amen. You remember having kids. Thank the Lord. Pray for them. That's why when they leave the house, you pray more than when they were in the house. But all of us learn lessons. Many times, in order to develop faith and perseverance, we have to go through something. We learn to trust God deeper. And this couldn't have happened without our struggles. Jonah was afflicted as he tried to run from God. And his afflictions affected others. Remember the sailors? Jonah thought that his own will for his life was better than what God had for him. Anytime you follow your own will for your life, you will engage suffering that you do not have to go through. I mean, if you're trying to get away from troubles and suffering, just follow God's will. You'll eliminate some of them in your life. But not every hardship or suffering is due to disobedience. Remember Job? Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Now that seems pretty simple. Why don't we just do it? It's not complicated. And our father told us, but yet we still want to go around and learn our own ways. Find out for real. Why didn't you tell me? I'll ask my dad and he'll say, well, you won't forget it now, will you? Anyone cheerful, let him sing praise. We need to praise God more. I, I, I ask you, just think about this for a second. Does your coworkers, does your neighbor, does your family members, do they know you as praising God? I really believe that if Christians, when joyful, praised God more openly, you know, without shame, that others would want to know the God that you're praising. If they see Christians never praising the God they serve, why would they want to know him? If you're just complaining, never mind, let's get back to here. 
Happy or sad? Suffering or cheerful? James hit both ends of the spectrum. It doesn't make a difference where you're at, what time in your life it is, you should be going to God. Do you get frustrated? Pray. Do you have good days? Praise. Are you happy? Praise. Do you have hard times? Pray. Pray and prayers is coming into the presence of God. It should be our first response. When you love somebody, you want them to be a part of your life. You want to tell them. They're the first one you think about. Happy or sad? So, of course, the question would be, do you love him? Your answer, of course, would be yes. Then I would ask you, are you sure? Are you praying? Or are you complaining? There's a difference. We, we do complain to God. According to a Newsweek poll, the average time people spend praying is three to five minutes a day. Now, prayer is communication with God, and this shouldn't be a one-way conversation. Prayer is an intimate time, an intimate communication with your Lord and Savior. A Christian needs to pray, and the time we spend praying should be more than five minutes. Paul actually says that we should be in continual prayer. Our lives should demonstrate prayer as always being before God. Knowing that we are, that's the reality. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. When I hear this, I actually think of Saul and Silas, probably because we were in the book of Acts on Wednesday nights. But Paul and Silas are in Philippi. Philippi. Now they're in Philippi, but they're in jail. They're arrested and thrown in jail. Unjustly arrested. And it says, it says that they had inflicted many blows on them. They had rods and inflicted many blows on them. They're like going to have court the next day. They were chained in stocks in the dungeon in the dark. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Roman citizens, unjustly punished, they weren't complaining. They were arrested, beaten, thrown in jail, in chains. What would you be doing? I know I'd be, <laughs> where are you, God? Right? These guys were suffering. But I believe, I believe that after intimate communication with God, their hearts were changed. They became cheerful. They believed, Romans 8.28. They actually believed that those that are called and follow him, he'll use you for good. So as they start praying out to God, their hearts change. And they can praise God because they're being used for the gospel's sake. Because they believe that God was powerful enough that if he didn't want them beaten and in prison, he could have kept them from being beaten and in prison. But he allowed it. They didn't understand why. They didn't know an earthquake was happening. They didn't know that the jailer, the head guy in the prison, was going to be woken up, shaken him and his whole family would be saying, how about all those prisoners in there? There's a whole lot more to this life than you. But our focus is on me, myself, and I. Three, right? Three and one. It's the wrong three and one. We need prayer. 
We need to develop an intimate prayer life. And when does this happen? Each of you would agree, I hope, that you need to pray more. No, right? I need to pray more. God said this about prayer. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Galatians do, for they think that they will be hurt for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So if you find yourself in a situation, he knew you were going to be there. So why not ask him? He already knows it. Just ask him. No shame. You don't become a prayer warrior overnight. It's moment by moment. You develop a prayer life. Do you know how people develop a strong prayer life? They pray. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? <laughs> it's like the secret, right? We all want to know. You do it. You pray. We know that they're prayer warriors because they consistently spend time before God. We should all be known as prayer warriors. What's on your tombstone? You know, it's going to be a dash between two dates. Loving father, great husband. I mean, those are good things. A follower of Christ, a man of God. What, what do you want on there? Listen to these verses in Luke. They encouraged me. But Jesus often withdrew in the wilderness to pray. Does that encourage you? This is God incarnate, 100% man, 100% God, and he takes time to go to be with God. Was it for refreshing? I, I have no idea. I think it was just a place that he loved to be. Early in the morning, why sleep when you want to be with your father? It's hard for me to believe that God incarnate needs refreshing. But 100% man needs refreshing. You need to be before your God. You need to spend time before him. If Jesus did, I need to. And it encourages me to make that commitment. And I pray that it encourages you. So we all believe we should pray more. So we're just going to start doing it. Amen. We don't have to wait till the New Year's, right? It's like the weather's changed. It's let's put on a new leaf and, right? Don't put away the shorts and t-shirts yet. I'm just, I'm just saying. I lived here my whole life. About the third week, you don't plant hay till the 15th of October. It's just, okay, I'm just saying. There's a reason why. Unless you want to get the pump and sprinklers out, okay? Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Any among you cheerful, let him sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So here in 13 to 14, we change. We change from singular to plural. In other words, what I'm saying is you change from praying for yourself to others praying and praying for others. So the first two verses about you, what do you do when you're suffering? Pray. What do you do when you're happy? Praise. 
and then it changes. Each of us should seek God more on a daily basis on our own. But 14 to 16, James is now telling us that we should pray together. We should pray for one another. We should pray for other believers. As believers, it's okay to pray for non-believers. We need to spend more time here in communion with one another, praying for one another. Pray for the sick person. And it says here, it says to call the elders for this sick person. And the elders are to anoint him with oil. Any and all prayers should start with Jesus. If you want a powerful prayer, you're going to have to have the Holy Spirit. But it must start with the gospel. The gospel is Jesus. If you have faith in Jesus, you repented of your sins, and the blood of Christ has cleansed you, you've been raised up in a new life. You're a child of God, and you pray to your heavenly Father, and your dad hears you. No doubt. He's just waiting to hear from you. I don't know if you guys have kids that went off to college or moved away, and they call you. Wow, he didn't call his mom, you know. It's one of those questions. Anyways, I have been blessed going to pray for people uh, when someone's sick, when they're so sick that they're unable to come to be prayed for. Because I don't think this is just a common cold. I think it's talking about calling for them to pray. And here at CCC, Christ Community Church, Brawley, Clexico, or El Centro, you have elders that pray. You have elders that pray for the sick in faith. And I, I, I am humbled and honored. I wouldn't pick me for the team. But I am honored that I've been called by God to fill this position, this office. You know when he says you, he takes those that are like kind of weird and you can't understand why he would use them to confound the wise? Here I is. <laughs> My wife's amazing. I wouldn't have stayed with me. I didn't sometimes. The role and the responsibility of an elder is more than just praying and anointing people with oil. But here's the obvious, okay? I think it's obvious. Apparently it's not. The responsibility of the elders is to pray for someone that's sick, but Elders do not have a divine insight that you're sick. It's like somebody, Dennis, go visit Mr. Smith. Yes, Lord. I mean, I pray that that would happen, and then I would yield to that. But it says, you call for the elders. So I, I want to humbly apologize, honestly, if I've missed you when you're sick, when you were gone from the church. You know, the average church attender only comes like every third Sunday. How do I know you're not on vacation? And honestly, I'm sorry, but you're not the only one that I pay attention to each and every Lord's Day. But it hurts me whenever somebody in the congregation feels that we missed them because we didn't call them or we didn't pray. And we have a few pastors and a few elders amongst the three facilities. 
And they're all busy. And if they're not, we're going to get rid of them. Anyways, sorry. Sorry. Uh, other duties of an elder is to settle disputes in the church. If you're having a dispute with somebody in the church, we also don't get divine intervention on that either. Okay, just because you move to the other side of the church to set, that doesn't mean that I think you're having a problem with your brother or sister. But if you're there, that's what elders are for, okay? And if they don't use the word of God, they shouldn't be an elder, okay? All our elders stand on the word. Thank the Lord for that. It's not because they have the largest financial purse in the church. When I first came to Christ Community Church, I seen who the elders were and I seen who was attending and I thought, man, I could stay here. Because elders weren't selected because they donated the largest amount of money. Sorry, it's just, that's not written down here, sorry. My wife says, don't get off on rabbit trails. And I said, I didn't. She goes, no, I, it's an elephant trail. You like went barreling over there. Sorry, how long do I have, Brett? Till 10? Oh, till 10. Okay, thanks. They're called to humbly look over the church, the spiritual health of those that attend. They're to shepherd. They're to oversee. They care for the local body of believers. It is a blessing to be called to fulfill the position to come and pray for somebody. So call, please. Don't have disputes, okay? That's not fun. Actually, it's not fun you being sick and getting a call, but it's a huge blessing. Anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, I just want to let you know that for about 2,000 years, right, these scriptures have been argued, okay? And uh, in a couple minutes, I'm going to try to talk to you about them here this morning. So just take it as a grain of thought, salt, right? But we're going we're gonna to talk about this anointing with oil. There's three main views. There's lots of views about anointing with oil. Lots of views, right? Hygiene. I mean, you just go on and on. Just there's a lot of them. But we're going to talk about three. Medical as medicine. Sacramental or as a sacrament or a visible sign of grace. Or symbolic. Serving as a symbol. Now, medical. We'll start with Medical. It means that the oil is used as medicine. And I have read that oil is used for medicine. And oil mixed with fermented wine would be put on a cut or a wound, and it would kill the bacteria, and it would help the wound heal faster. Matter of fact, my wife uses oils and uh, peppermint, lavender to sleep. She has some turmeric. Turmeric. I, don't I take a turmeric pill? Anyways, okay, that we put on our joints for uh, inflammation. And, and believe it or not, they work, okay? These oils work, so I believe that oils are used. But if you're sick and you're depending on the elders to come over and to prescribe medication for you, this isn't a good situation. You're in trouble. You're in trouble. If you have medicine, give it to them, Okay? And somebody else should be determining what medicine you need for that sickness, not the elder. So I don't think it's medical. 
sacramental. This is when uh, somebody turns this oiling or anointing with oil for the sick into a sacrament of the church, particularly the Catholic church. They have seven of them, I find out. I didn't know how many they had. Sorry. I know I lived here my whole life, and I have, I've worked with and more than 90% of the people I know are Catholic, but they don't go to church. Are you a Christian? I mean, we're supposed to go to church, right? Anyways, okay, the Catholic Church has a sacrament uh, that this oil is something that the priest would administer to someone that's very sick or close to death, preparing their soul for death. I, I don't think this is a picture of a sacrament because he talks about healing here. He's not talking about death. And I don't think this oil is going to prepare you for death. The blood of Jesus will. Remember the thief on the cross? So if any of your family members are sick, don't necessarily get the oil out first. It's okay to call. But make sure they know Jesus. The oil ain't going to save their souls. So in my humble opinion, the oil is symbolic. All over the scriptures, the oil is a picture of setting something apart. Someone or something for a special purpose. Not that there's power in the oil, but the oil represents something powerful, what they're being set apart for. When the elders come, and this is not about the elders. These verses are not about the, the elders. And these verses are not about the oil. These verses are about prayer. And we get our focus on the wrong thing. We want to argue about the elders and who they are and what they should be doing. And we argue about what kind of oil. Listen, listen, we're going to all agree it's olive oil. Okay? I know you like coconut oil and some of you use peanut or canola oil, but it's olive oil. Okay? Read the Bible. Okay? This is not saying that the elders have some kind of special power or privilege when it comes to prayer. Look at verse 16. Verse 16. The church is to pray for one another that you may be healed. We all have the privilege of praying for each other. God has not chosen to give a special power to an elite group of people. And these are the ones you call because they have the most powerful prayers. God has made his power available to everyone that is a saint of God and the living spirit of God lives in you. You have the same power. And he's going to prove it with scripture. Elijah was just like us. See, it's not about oil. It's not about healing, power, and effectible prayer. When it comes to hurts and needs at CCC, it doesn't take the elders. It doesn't take a certain group to pray for these hurts and needs. But it takes the community together, gathering in faith with one another and praying for one another. Drawing each of us, each of us closer to God. If five or six guys, if 21 people get together at an elders retreat, and they draw closer to God, it's only going to do so much for this church. But if we join together with one another, and we're each pouring into each other and praying for each other and confessing sins, oh, we're going to get to that. Hold on. 
We don't like that part either. But now it's interesting that this is the only place in the New Testament where we are told to confess our sins to one another. Confessing our sins to one another is given in the context of praying for one another for healing. How about that? You're not going to tell nobody nothing about you? Huh? You want to be healed? Think about it. Hear me on this now. Just think for a second. Listen. There might be a relationship with confessing and healing. Confessing your sins and being healed. Now we know that there's some sin that causes sickness. And we had the Lord's Supper last week, right? And so we go into some of these were ill and sick and even dead, right? Because they were sinning during the communion, the Lord's Supper, right? Now listen, sickness is not always because someone has sinned. Because someone is sick, the conclusion cannot be it's because they're sick. Because of their sin, cannot be. James actually says here, if, if they have sinned. There is a sin that causes sickness, but all sickness isn't, is, is not because the person sinned. I believe that all sickness is because of sin, because of the fall of man. But I don't believe that we would be dealing with sickness as we do. If sin never entered the world, we wouldn't have sickness. So indirectly, all sin is because of the fall. All sickness is because of sin. Indirectly. But all sickness isn't caused by the individual sinning. But when we're sick, we should be reminded that we're sinful. It should be a reminder of our nature. That's why sickness entered in, because of the nature of man. It's sinful. So it wouldn't hurt as we're praying for healing to ask God to search our soul. If they're to find anything in us, as we could do on a daily basis, well or sick. But definitely when we're sick, it should be reminded that we're sinful. And sickness entered in because of sin. Job was a righteous man. He sits on a pile of ashes with boils all over his body, scraping it. So you can't say that every sickness is because of sin. James says to confess your prayers one to another, which to intercede for one another. Now, this morning, it wouldn't be practical if I said, hey, it's confession time. Would you turn to the person on your right and confess your sins? I'll give you a few moments. Then after a minute or two, I said, okay, now turn to your left. Some of you do. I, was, I mean, this don't really apply, because you probably all know one another. But in El Centro, I'm going to say, and you probably don't even know the person on your right or left. But that would... That would be kind of weird, wouldn't it be? Uncomfortable, kind of awkward if we were to confess our sins this morning. We're going to take a minute now. This is confession time, right? And it's good to do that right after they take the offering, Brett, because, oh, anyways. Wait, wait, wait. No. Sorry. I don't know if that's considered joyful, though. Anyway, okay, never mind. But we're supposed to be doing this. So how do we do this? If the Bible says we're to do this, how do we do this? God wants each and every one of us to be in that type of community 
to have relationships with one another, one another that's close enough that you share life together. You do life together. If Sunday morning is your limitation of church activity, you're missing it. You have to be involved throughout the week. You have to be in a small group. But worship team, is, I consider that a small group. They get together, they practice, they're here before church. They're here a long time before anybody else gets here. They have time to share needs. I pray that you are in a group, a small group, that you can share your life with. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Now, this doesn't mean that you're not praying with enough faith. As a group that goes and prays for people, I've had the privilege of going and praying for somebody that's been healed. But then also with elders, we go and we pray, and they're, they're ultimately healed. They died. Their earthly body gave out. And it wasn't because they didn't have enough pray, faith, and it's not because the elders didn't have faith that God could do it. We look to Scripture because it's our authority. And James gives us Elijah as the place to look to, to how do we pray a prayer of faith. When you read this, notice that Elijah, it's in 1 Kings 17 and 18. And I pray that this afternoon you'd read it. It's a really good read. It is, honest. You'll like it. But when you read this, you notice that Elijah's prayer and the word of the God, they're connected. Elijah prays the word of the God. And you know what? You have a nature like Elijah, and you too can pray the word of God. You can. In 1 Kings, it says that the word of the Lord was, came to him. And Elijah spoke the word of the Lord. He told the king it wasn't going to rain, and it didn't rain. Then the word of the Lord told Elijah to go to King Ahab and tell him it's going to rain. So he fervently prayed. You know what? If you know the will of God, it's a lot easier to fervently pray in faith, in confidence. But Elijah had already been told it was going to rain, and he believed God. And he earnestly prayed in faith, knowing that it was going to happen. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three and a half years, it didn't rain. Then he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. You know, it takes about three months to bear fruit, right? I, don't, I mean, Joe, I mean, Larry, I... I'm just saying. But don't we want to pray? It rained. Where's my fruit? Jeez, I don't understand. This doesn't work. Microwave society. There's something about patience. And if, if James is impressing on us healing in these verses, in 1 Kings 17, there is a healing. There's a widow's son that dies and is brought back to life. And James isn't talking about healing. These verses are all about prayer. And we focus on healing in these verses. God said it's going to rain. So he knew it was going to rain. 
God's grace, his sovereignty chose to use Elijah's pray, prayer to bring apart and or about what God had intended to do. And he wants to do that with you. In his sovereignty, he wants to use you to bring about his will here, right now, today. In order to do that, though, brother and sister, you have to know God's will. You have to know his word. You have to know what God wants. If you're not studying his word, if you don't know much about his word except just what's given up here on Sunday morning, you won't know what to pray. How about if you were asked to go pray for a very sick person, someone with cancer? Do you have a word from God that they're going to be healed of their cancer? Most likely not. Matter of fact, I've heard words given. You can't give words that you wish would happen or what you would like to happen. If you don't have a word from God, don't speak it. Don't make it your own. Don't put it on God. That's a sin. That's a fraud. They used to be punishable by death. Stoning. It hurts people. Misrepresents God. 1 John 5.14. Now this is a confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his name, he hears us. To pray powerfully, you have to know what God wants. If you make God's wants your wants, then you can pray for whatever you want. If God's wants are your wants, then you can pray for whatever you want because they will be God's wants. I know that it's hard for our heart to accept this because we want the person well. But God doesn't choose to do what we think or what we think should be done. He's sovereign. And his will's done. Now, we have the right. We have, we have the ability. We have the freedom to exercise our wants and desires. But once expressed to God, then we submit our will to his. You can pray, dear Heavenly Father, I ask that this brother or the sister is comforted. I thank you for this facility. I thank you for all of those that work in the medical field. I pray that you bless them, but I pray that they know when they come into this room that they know that there's a living God to be trusted in. I pray that your gospel is advanced. I pray that you comfort and strengthen my brother or sister laying here. In the, I pray that you give comfort to their family. And I desire, Lord God, that you lift this brother, this sister up out of this bed and they would be healed from this cancer for your glory. But God, you're gonna do what you do in order to get the glory. And that's what we're asking. Utmost, we're asking that you receive the glory even through this, Lord God. Even though I don't see it. And you pray in Jesus' name. And you can pray fervently and with faith. And through you, God gives them and the family comfort. It is amazing. Paul in 2 Corinthians, he says that he prayed three times. And we all know the thorn remained. Paul experienced satisfaction through the thorn. And God received glory. All sickness is not removed. God said no. 
And it wasn't because Paul didn't have enough faith. So he went back the second time, not enough faith. Went back the third time, not enough faith. Be fervent. You can pray three times. Your will is his desire. You submit your will to him and you're good with the outcome. Verses 19 and 20. You said I could just continue, right? I'm on page 19 of 26. Very big font. Very big font. I have to have glasses at home and I'm, I'm, sorry, pride, you know. I'm vain. I'm not wearing them, right? Okay, anyways. I take those cheaters off and then things don't focus just right. So we have learned in James, what's that? The rabbit trail, the elephant trail, Gary would say. You did it again. Anyway, okay, we've learned in James how to live a faithful life. But listen, it's not about just you living a faithful life. It's about you sharing your life and your faith with others. You're supposed to rub off on other people. You're supposed to be so full of the Holy Spirit that it spills over. We're to show others how to live this Christian life, first by living it. And then because we're walking beside them and loving them, we can express our concerns for their lives. They can, they can share. They're, they're willing to share and confess with us because they know that we love them. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now, I could, I could spend a couple Sundays just on this. Okay? And there's a lot of opinions of really, really sharp guys with letters before and after their names. Serious. Serious. I mean, they command mountains of peoples on weekends. James here is talking about restoring a brother or sister from their sins. So I'm just going with what I know. I'm just laying it out here. Simple-minded man that I am. James says that this saves souls. James says that this saves them from death and covers sin. So this leads to a question, can a Christian lose their salvation? Can a Christian have eternal death? Can a Christian be in danger of not being saved? So before we start going down that trail, okay, that's not in my notes, babe. I'm not going there. You have to go back to what you do know. What does God's word say about a Christian and their salvation? What does God's word teach about eternal security? And is it always certain? Eternal security is a truth, a doctrinal truth of a Christian salvation that you are eternally secure. In Jude 24, it says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his, his glory with great joy. When you trust in Christ as your Savior, he opens up your eyes for your need for him. He gives you that faith. He gives you that ability to believe. 
and you're born again. The Holy Spirit comes into you, and this promise guarantees your inheritance as a son and daughter of God. The Lord Jesus Christ proclaims, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch me out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. That's John 10, 28 and 29. So are you eternally secure? John 3, 15 and 16. Tells us that whosoever believes in Jesus Christ will have eternal life. If a person were to be promised eternal life, but then have it taken away, was it ever eternal? Was it ever eternal to begin with? If eternal security is not true, the promise of eternal life in the Bible is in error. And I believe the Bible to be true. Pray that you do. Maybe the most powerful argument for eternal security is in Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither presence, nor the future, nor any power, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So today, I'm stating here, are you recording it here? For all of eternity, okay, Our eternal security was purchased by Christ, promised by the Father, and sealed by the Holy Spirit. So God preserves his people. He brings our salvation to completion. No doubt in my mind. How? So how does God do that? <laughs> you know your heart. Sorry. I know my heart. So how does God do that? Yes, with his word. He does it with his word. You know how God keeps you faithful? You know how God keeps you from wandering away? It's creating a little bit of drama here, just anticipation. The body of Christ, the church, God's people. Only through community. God is sovereign, and he will preserve his people, and I believe it's through you and me, and you and me. That's how he chooses to use his sovereignty in each of our lives. He puts you in the body of believers. He puts you to keep others from messing up, and others are there to keep you on track. You make it so tough for me. No, sorry. Christianity isn't mean to be lived in isolation. We need one another. We're all a part of this body. We're connected. And when one part of the body is hurting, the, all of the body hurts. Listen, listen. If you're just doing Sunday morning and you're not saved, I'm okay with it. If you're just doing Sunday morning and you're a brother or sister in the Lord and this is all you're doing, come on! Oh, sorry. 
We need you. I need you. I, I need you. I need you to help me along the way. You're Christ. Representation of helping me not wander, to stay the course. Will God keep us faithful? Yes. How through the church? Eternal security is a community project. We can go down and serve hot dogs. But our most important community project is right here. We see faith worked out in the body, in the community. Love, live, and lead. Examine how you're doing that in your own life. And when God speaks to your heart, and I believe he does, quit ignoring him. Get involved. Get involved in a group of believers outside of just Sunday service. Somewhere you can share life together. Do you have sin in your life? Yep. We all do. Are you struggling? We all struggle. Has God put it up on your heart this morning that you should be praying more? Been working on me for a couple weeks. Don't hesitate. Why when God promotes and prompts your heart to come to the altar and pray during a worship song, we stay in our pews? How about after a message, whenever God puts something on your heart and you don't come up to meet him here? Is it pride? Are these brothers and sisters? You shouldn't be ashamed in this room. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, he who is spiritual should restore him. In the spirit of gentleness, keep watch on yourself. Least you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Those who, whom he has called, he will justify. And those who he's justified will glor be glorified. And that's not like on the day of salvation. You to, you're to be radiating God's glory now. It's not like a future deal. If God is for us, who? Who? Our salvation is not a one-time act. It's one time we're saved and we're eternally saved. But through that act of salvation, we're continually bringing ourselves before God. When you're sick, you should be reminded that the nature of man is sinful. That's how sickness came in. Lord, is my spirit, am I right with you? Search me, Lord God. Yesterday, yesterday morning, Mike Mullane talked about our eyes and where our focus is. Do you have a sin that you are unable to get past? Is there something that still tugs at your flesh? Well, let me tell you the secret in that. Get your eyes on Jesus because your eyes are on yourself. And that's why you continue to struggle in that. Get your eyes upon. And there's another song, right? 
I'm not going to sing it. I want to. I want to really bad. I love praising God. I love singing. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You don't have to continue to struggle. You don't have to continue to drag those things around. That doesn't continue to have to haunt you. You don't have to wish or hope that nobody catches you. Get your focus back where it's supposed to be. Your focus is in the wrong place. You got too much flesh going on and not enough spirit. Throw off the old sinful nature in your formal ways of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew you, your thoughts and attitude. Washed by the cleansing of God's Word. These are in Ephesians 4, 22 and then 26. Pray when you struggle. Praise when you're happy. Turn your eyes up on Jesus. Focus on him. Amazing glory and grace. Even in the smallest of things, smallest of answered prayer, do you know we don't deserve God's answered prayer at all? And we think one big giant answered prayer is going to do it. I've seen giant prayers answered, and then within a couple years, they get divorced, and they're out of the church. And I thought, how did that happen? Their focus. Where's your focus at this morning? I pray that it's on God. I pray that it's on prayer. I pray that here in Brawley, you guys get so many community groups and have such a close relationship that those people in El Centro are envious. And then they start driving to Brawley. No, not really. Not really. Sorry. 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 Can you scratch that part? (laughs) Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord God, for who you are. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for the salvation that you secured in me, Lord God, through the cross. I thank you, Lord God, that your word is true and I can stand on it. And I don't have to worry about losing my salvation because I didn't secure my salvation. My salvation is secured on you and what you've done. And nothing, nothing can take me out of your hand or the Father's hand, which is stronger than I. No one will snatch me from your hand. I pray that my brothers and sisters this morning has been touched by your word, that their hearts will never be the same. As they examine their selves, Lord God, and they find brothers and sisters that they can live life together. It's in your mighty and precious name, Jesus, I pray. Amen.